Welcome to the Fit Cat feature for Run Radio. I'm Trina Wilcox. My guest today, Terry Tucker. Welcome. Thanks, Trina. I'm looking forward to talking with you today. You are full of energy and you just have a great outlook on life. And I was reading through some of the things that you've experienced and been through. And you, you've had a, quite a few several obstacles to jump over and through. So tell me a little bit about that, how you've coped and how you keep a good head about it. Sure. So I, I, I guess I should go back. I, I was born on the south side of Chicago. I'm the oldest of three boys. Uh, you can't tell this from looking at me or from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall and actually played college basketball uh, on a scholarship at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, when I graduated from college, I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the Internet was available to help people find employment. Uh, so I, I, I moved home and I was able to find that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain. That was the good news. The bad news is I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, professionally, as I said, started out in marketing at Wendy's, moved to hospital administration, and then made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And part oh, wow. of what I did during my law enforcement career was I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Um, after law enforcement, I started a school security consulting business, coached girls high school basketball, became an author in 2020. But for the last almost 11 years now, I've been battling a rare form of cancer, a rare form of melanoma. Uh, and then I guess just finally, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. We have one child, a daughter, is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Oh, how neat. How exciting. We're very My proud. My goodness. And then just, wow, it's a bold, it's a bold task to decide to pivot in, in careers. So how was that for you? Were you scared or were you just like scared of not trying? Well, I, I think you know, there's sort of a backstory. And, okay. and so the backstory is my, my grandfather was a Chicago police officer from 1924 to 1954. So was, was in Chicago during Prohibition when alcohol was outlawed in the United States during the Great Depression in the late 1920s, early 1930s. And when the gangs, Al Capone and those guys were shooting up the town and he was actually shot in the line of duty. Not It was not a serious injury, he was shot in the ankle but my dad was an infant at the time, and he always remembered the stories my grandmother told of that knock on the door of, you know, Mrs. Tucker, grab your son, come with us, your husband's been shot. So when I expressed an interest in going into law enforcement, my dad was absolutely not. You're going to college, you're going to major in business, you're going to get out, get a great job, get married, have 2.4 kids and live happily ever after. Mm -hmm. But that's what my dad wanted me to do. And as I mentioned, when I graduated from college, my dad was dying of cancer. So I had a choice. I could have said, sorry, dad, you know, I know you're dying, but I'm going to go blaze my own trail or out of love and respect for you, I will do what you want me to do. So understanding that backstory, you know, you look at my resume, it's like, yeah, I, I went into business because that's what my dad wanted. And I sort of joke, I did what every good son did. I waited until my father passed away and, and then oh. followed my own dreams of being in law enforcement. So was it scary? A little bit, but I felt, you know, I was older. I was a 37-year-old rookie police officer. 
I took a whole lot more Tylenol in the police academy than the younger counterparts that I was that I was with. But you know, it was it was what I felt my purpose was, and I was very glad I took the the jobs in business because it gave me some life experience that I was able to bring to law enforcement. Was that? Did you feel like you were kind of? being a little spiteful or how did that feel knowing your dad didn't want you to do that? But then also, like you said, you were respectful while he was alive. What was that like? I, I mean, you know, my dad was my hero. I, I you know, I, it was, I, I sort of always feel sorry for my mother because she was the only, you know, female, the only woman in the house. I mean, it was three boys, three sons and, and dad and that, and, and my dad was my hero. And, and I know what he did he did out of love and concern mm-hmm. for me. It was not out of, you know, I, I know you want to do this, so I'm going to make sure you don't do it. Um, it was just, hey, I want something that's better for you. But I, I never felt like law enforcement was something that, you know, I was taking a step back or a step down to do. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think we need good people in that. I think we need smart people. I think we need committed and dedicated people to do that work. It's it's not a fun job. I mean, I had a lot of fun doing it because I worked with great people, but it was, you know, my parents really taught us the value of family, you know, mm-hmm. of loving each other, caring for each other and supporting each other. And my parents used to do what I would call divide and conquer parenting. You know, my brothers and I were all in athletics. So, you know, I had a game on a night at this time and my brother had a practice on the Mm -hmm. same night at that time. So dad would go to this and mom would go to that. And my parents just taught us what family was all about. And so it was it wasn't a hard decision to say, "Okay, dad, I'll do what you want me to do because you taught us about family. But, you know, at a certain point in time, you've got to live your life. You've got to live the life that you believe is right for you. And, and you can't spend your life worrying about, you know, what other people think about it, even if that is your parents. Absolutely. Well, now you help other people find their uncommon and extraordinary lives. Tell me a little about that. Yeah, that's something, you know, when my dad was dying, he had end-stage breast cancer. And at the time in the 1980s, they did not know how to treat men with breast cancer. And so they pretty much told him to go home and die. And he lived another three and a half years. And I believe he did because he had a purpose. He was in real estate and he worked up till two weeks before he died. And I just sort of, you know, took note of that and sort of followed it in the back of my brain saying, you know, when it's my turn in the barrel here, as as we all unfortunately experience, I need to have that purpose. I need to have something that I'm doing with my life. And so when I got cancer 11 years ago, I really haven't been able to hold any kind of a job because of all my therapies and, you know, being out for a week and things like that. I needed something to do. I needed to try to find a purpose in life. And that purpose now is is to give back, is to try to find as much, you know, give as much goodness, positivity, motivation, inspiration, love, whatever you want to call it, and put that back into the world with people that I come in contact with, whether it's people you know online or people that I meet at the hospital during my treatments and things like that. So that for me now is, is my purpose in life. You seem like you are on the go constantly. What's it been like having to get treatments and then, you know, adjust? Yeah, it, it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely not been easy. You, you know, I had my I had my foot amputated in 2018. I had my leg amputated in 2020 during the middle of the COVID pandemic. And it's interesting. I had a nurse recently ask me, 
you know, what was it like to to lose your foot and and to lose your leg? And and I told her it it, it hasn't been easy. I mean, you know, when you're six foot eight and you're trying to learn how to walk again, falling is not an option. You know, no. you kind of get hurt from this height. But what what I told her was, you know, cancer can take all of my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who I am. That's who you are, Trina. That's who everybody who's listening to us really is. You know, this, this body, this vessel, this house, whatever you want to call it, that's all it is. I mean, and I'm not telling you not to work on your, you know, eating right and going to the gym and getting enough sleep and reducing stress and all that. You absolutely should do that. But I don't think we spend enough time working on who we really are, which is our heart, our mind and our soul. So I spend a lot more time working on those things than I do when, you know, when I was younger than, you know, and I was I was athletic and I was in law enforcement. So I needed to stay in good physical condition. Now, not that that's not important, but I'm, I'm certainly limited with my cancer and, you know, with the different deficits that I have. What are some of the things that you do to stay working on that mental mindset? Yeah, I, I think a couple of things. One, I think um, I use prayer. I, I, I'm very, I have a very strong faith. And, and so I pray every day and I'd be lying to you if I told you I didn't pray for myself. I absolutely do. You know, I'm, I'm trying to, to get that miracle like everybody else. But there have been so many people that I've met along this journey that have, you know, will you pray for me? Will you pray for my family? Absolutely. So I spend a lot of time doing that. The other thing I do is I use humor as much as I possibly can. Whenever I go, I go every three weeks for an entire week for treatment for the tumors that I still have in my lungs. And, and I, use, you know, I bring all the, the dumb, stupid dad jokes that, yeah. you know, to my nurses and stuff like that, because I mean, let's face it, their job is to deal with, you know, cancer patients every day. And so why can't we make this fun? Why can't we have a good time? I remember when I had my foot amputated, I was hobbling is probably the best word. I was hobbling out of the hospital in a in a boot that absolutely accentuated the fact that I did not have a foot. And there was a woman who was at the exit and, and she was, and I don't even know if she was doing this, she was staring incredibly hard at me. You know, and I'm looking around like, is she looking at me? And, and there was nobody else there. So she was. So I, as soon as I got to her, I turned, I looked her right in the eye and I said, don't worry, it'll grow back. And then I kept walking and I looked over my shoulder and she had this look on her face like, will it, will his foot grow back? I mean, wow, he thinks that's happening. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, so sometimes you got to laugh at the experience, you know, you got to find humor in your misery. And and I try to do that as much as I can. Man, that it is tough to do though. It really is. So that's, I'm very I'm proud of you for doing that and sharing that with other people. Talk about your writing. When, when did you dive into that? When did you decide to put a book together? How did you publish? Sure. So um, I, I wrote my book, Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life, uh, published it in 2020. The book was really uh, born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former player that I had coached uh, in high school who had moved to the area in Colorado with her fiance, where my wife and I live. And the four of us had dinner one night. And I remember saying to her after dinner that I was really excited that she was living close and I could watch her find and live her purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she said, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? 
I said, I have absolutely no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth, using your unique gifts and talents and living that reason. So that was one conversation. And then I had a young man on social media who reached out to me and said, you know, what do you think are the most important things I need to learn or I need to know to not just be successful in my job or in business, but to be successful in life? And, and Trina, I didn't want to give them that, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. I mean, not that those aren't important. They are incredibly important. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper with them. So I took some time and eventually kind of had these, these 10 ideas, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to them. And then I stepped back and I kind of looked at it like, well, I've got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So literally during the three to four month period where I was healing after I had my leg amputated, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath each of the principles. And that's how the book was developed. And then I, you know, like you said, I, I needed somebody to publish it. And I had no idea how to go about doing that. And I fortunately had a former law enforcement friend of mine who said, hey, I, you should talk to this guy. His name's Scott Silveri. And, and Scott has a unique, he was a former law enforcement officer. And one day he was a police chief in Louisiana. And one of his buddies said, hey, will you come out to California and put on a presentation for authors that want to understand police tactics so they can use them in their books when they write? And he's like, yeah, sure, free trip to California and, and do this. Well, he ends up meeting his wife, who's like a 50-time, you know, New York Times bestselling uh, fiction author. They get married. He gets out of law enforcement and they started a not-for-profit publishing. So I was able to, to connect with him and you know we worked it out. And, and I had access to you know editors and cover designers and layout artists and everything like that that I certainly wouldn't have had if I would have published it myself. Interesting, very neat. Tell us again the name of it and where we can find it. Uh, the name is Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. And, and you can find it anywhere you, you get your book online, you, app, uh, Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks. It, it's, it's pretty much everywhere out on the internet. Can you share one of the principles with us? Sure. I'll give you the one that resonates with me the most. And, and okay. that's the fun thing about being the author. You know, I, I wrote the principles, but when people reach out to me, there's always one that resonates with them. And the principles are not in any order. You know, number one is not any more important than number seven. But the one that resonates with me, and in a way, I'm kind of ashamed to say this because I've done this many times, is the principle is this. Most people think with their fears and their insecurities instead of using their minds. And I know I've done that in my life. I know I've like, you know, I should do this. Oh, wait a minute. What are people going to think about me? Or do I have enough knowledge or information to do that? That's thinking with our fears and our insecurities. That's not thinking with, well, this would be a good thing for me to do. Whether I'm successful or not, I'm going to learn something from it. Very good. Uh, since we were talking about health and fitness, too, I want to go back to that a little bit. What has been a constant in your life for maintaining good active health? Um, yeah, that's a good question because there are so many days when I'm, I'm exhausted when I'm, you know, hurting, when I'm yes. nauseous and, and and things like that. And and I just try to do something every day, whether it's, you know, weights or bands or or something like that to, 
you know, to, to physically just keep my muscle tone. I can't say I've got great muscle tone compared to what I used to be. But the other thing I think is important is nutrition. And you know, one of the diagnostic tools that my doctor used to use to uh, look at the progress of my cancer was what was called a PET scan. And, and the idea behind that is they would inject radioactive sugar into you with the idea being that cancer cells have a higher metabolism and they will pick up that sugar you know, at a greater rate or a greater propensity and they will glow. You will see it on, on the scan so they know where the cancer is. Well, I didn't think it took a genius to figure out that, well, maybe I had to cut as much sugar as I possibly can out of my diet because of that. So I, I do do that. I try to eat a more keto diet. You know, if I'm going to eat sugar, it's going to be natural sugar, you know, in, in fruits or something like that. Um, you know, pro proteins, um, you know, just, just cleaner, a cleaner diet that, than I, you know, I mean, we were, I'm old enough that I, I was brought up on, you know, processed foods and fast foods yeah. and things. Like that. And I don't, I don't do those anymore, you know, yeah. and, Thank God for my wife, who is, is a great cook and and can figure that out and, and keep me healthy. But I can always tell when I eat something that I shouldn't. Yeah, like, I just don't I just don't feel good. You know, I, I need to get that out of me and and get back to a little bit of a cleaner diet. Were you able to adapt pretty quickly to finding new activities when you lost your foot and leg? Not particularly. I, I, okay. I mean, I. I have this amazing prosthetic leg that it literally has a microprocessor in the knee. I plug it in at night. It has a gyroscope in the calf. So it knows whether I'm in front of the leg or I'm, I'm behind. The leg. I, I mean, the technology yeah. is amazing, but it is, it takes so much energy to use that leg. I, I mean, you, you, you know, your, your, uh, your hamstrings and your quads, their whole purpose is to move your lower leg. And when you don't have that lower leg, they atrophy, they go away. They don't really have anything to do. So basically you're walking with your, your hip and your butt muscles, oh, you know, yeah. to try to propel you. And, and the interesting thing about it is I figured, you know, you just put the prosthetic leg on and, and you go, well, that's not the case. The more you wear it, the more your what's left of your stump shrinks. So you, you have to take it off periodically and put on what they call socks, which are like big sweat socks over your thigh or what's left of it, you know, to kind of fill in the gaps so that, you know, you have that that fit in there and there's not rubbing and, you know, you get blisters and things like that. So it's not a like you just put it on and go. It's yeah. a constant thing. And and so it takes a tremendous amount of energy. I'm just giving you excuses. I mean, it's it's absolutely yeah. something people can do. But, you know, that takes a lot of energy. But I, I do. I, I, I try to do as much physical stuff as I can, whether it's just rolling around the house in my wheelchair or, you know, kind of doing some modified pushups and things like that. It, it's, you know, the problem is, is I'm old and I was an athlete. And so I've got bad shoulders and a bad knee and all that kind of So that all, you know, plays into yeah, yeah. not having a leg. Oh my goodness. I, I love your attitude. I'm glad you wrote the book. I want to check that out. If you get another one going, please come back and share that with us too. I would absolutely do that. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. No problem. Thank you. Bye.